Welcome to Limitless, the blind beginnings podcast where seeing things differently inspires limitless possibilities. This podcast is being brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Limitless was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community, in order to show the world that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the executive director and founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marcelet. Welcome back to the Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. I am your host, Sean Marcelet, and I'm so happy that you've joined us again this week. I'm going to welcome my co-host slash guest today, Ginny, back to the podcast. Welcome, Ginny. Hi, Sean, and hello, everybody. So I'm really glad that you're here because uh, we actually had planned to interview somebody this morning and they are sick as are many people in the world currently and we're not able to make it. And so Ginny and I are going to have a chat about university. Thank you for your flexibility, Ginny. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. So maybe remind our listeners, um, what are you taking? What school do you go to? What's your university kind of catch us up? All righty. So as Sean mentioned, I'm Ginny. I am a Blind Beginnings youth mentor slash alumni. I am attending the University of the Fraser Valley. That's in Abbotsford, BC for anyone who might not know where that is and I'm hoping to graduate with a Bachelor of Arts majoring in English with a creative writing concentration or honors history minor and an intro to journalism certificate and I've been blind since birth. Uh, So how many years have you been attending university now? So I started attending university in the fall of 2017 and I believe I'm in my fifth year now sometimes it's hard to keep count after so many years have gone by mm-hmm. uh, I definitely wanted to be that person uh, who graduated in four years I remember every oh. blind beginnings workshop I was like no I'm graduating in four years and uh-huh. Sean would be like no that sometimes is not possible even for sighted people so here I am taking my time to graduate, but also enjoying it at the same time. That's the main, that's the important part. And Mm -hmm. nobody cares when you're done, how many years it took you, you know, it's not like when you start working and they're like, what? It took you six years to do your degree. (laughs) Well, forget it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So maybe let's talk about how do you go about choosing your university? Because it's not just a case of what's the best school for the program I want to take, although that matters too, but you also have to consider what services are available for students who are blind. So what was that process like for you? So my process was a little bit different. So I actually only applied to UFB and that was because my parents as as parents are, were concerned and worried for me attending larger universities that even though they might have have more support, um, they were 
um, worried me in that regard of navigating um, in a larger setting with more students being farther away from home. Um, as well as I also knew someone at the time who was taking classes at the University of the Fraser Valley. He was also blind. So I actually got to pick their brain a little bit. And I decided with a combo of smaller school, um, plus knowing someone already immersed within the university system. And at that time, I actually didn't know the program I wanted to go into. Um, so that's what led me to my decision. Um, at the time, though, I did really not want to go to that school because I thought small schools were lacking in certain things. Um, you know, there is that bit of that stereotype. So I always plan to transfer after two years. But I think when you're choosing your university, definitely looking at the program, even if you don't have an idea of what you want to go into, there's always general studies or general uh, programs that'll let you get started for most universities. Um, always looking up um, either the Center for Accessibility Services, uh, Disability Resource Center, and booking an appointment with them far in advance so that you can ask questions um, see what the process is like, see what services are available, uh, um, particular to your needs. Um, for those who don't know what a disability resource center or a center for accessibility, accessibility services is, it, it's a part of the university that offers students with disabilities, um, or any students who need additional services or supports, the means and resources to do so. So, I mean, I went through that process a long, long, long time ago, the whole choosing a university. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember when I was in high school, actually, my vision teacher took me to the disability resource center at UBC. Uh, we went and visited SFU and talked to somebody there. We talked to somebody at Douglas College. And found out like what what can I expect here? What services are available? And mm -hmm. and they they differed for sure at the time. Um, actually, SFU basically said to me, "We recommend you don't come here because we know oh. that we don't actually have the the level of support that we expect you to need." Now this was in 1993, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's definitely different now. <laughs> yeah, no, no slamming SFU at all. They have come a long way, and I know a lot of blind students that have attended SFU. So mm -hmm. clearly, it's better than it was when I was going through. But at the time, UBC had um, Crane Library, where they would actually produce some of the textbooks in audible format, which was very unique. So that kind of gave it the upper hand, I feel like for my right. needs at that time. Right. Yeah. What are some of the supports that are offered through a disability resource center or some of the supports students can be offered, uh, definitely ranges, like we said, university to university. Um, but generally if you need a note taker, you can access a note taker. Uh, so that can be a volunteer in your class that uploads the notes and sends them to you. 
Um, and the process is quite anonymous. Um, they don't know who you are. You might not know who they are. Um, you can also access assistive technology, um, a laptop, uh, Braille note, uh, Braille note touch, uh, Braille sense, anything that you may need in order to complete your work, as well as textbooks. You can access them. Um, so when I was in university, the note taker, I actually was hired as a note taker for one of the classes I was in, which was very cool. So I was paid to be a note taker for a student mm -hmm. in the class yeah. with a hearing impairment. And we were both in the same class. She noticed me and she noticed that I was typing my notes. And so she contacted the disability resource center and then they reached out to me to ask if I would be interested in this job. So I basically got paid to go to class, take notes, and then just clean them up a little bit and send them right. to this other student. So I, I, is it a volunteer thing now? Are, are note takers not paid? In the university that I am in, it is a volunteer hmm. uh, position. I accidentally, I think once clicked note taking for all my classes. And they were trying to find note takers for me. And I actually almost applied because I didn't know it was for me. Uh -huh. um, so and until I that's how I found out that I was actually I was I had checked that off somehow. But like you, I thought I was doing it for somebody else and I almost applied for that. But it definitely was volunteer. But so that perhaps might... that's also university university yes. dependent, right? I was just going to say that. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I think it might be. Another service that I did access was tutoring. Oh, right. um, And yes. that was another paid position that, you know, they would hire a tutor to work with me. So for statistics, which is very visual, I had a tutor. Uh, I think that's the, maybe biology. Yes, biology. I also had a tutor and that tutor would actually helped me in the lab to do some of the lab stuff that I needed to do. Right. Is that still available? Tutoring is available. I think they would, my university would refer me to the tutors that are just there for all students first, I think, before going down the route of finding me a, a tutor mm. through a volunteer paid. I did have an in-class assistant for a geography class once that I did have to apply for. I actually had to find someone um, to, to apply and then they were paid. But I, but I think that they would refer you to the, the general student tutors first. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I went to college before I went to university and um, I remember having volunteer I think they were volunteers that would go to the library with me and help me find materials for papers and things like that back in those days it was right photocopying out of books and then and then taking that to have it read onto a tape <laughs> to listen to yeah definitely yeah, not was, like that anymore <laughs> no I, I imagine not <laughs> the internet wasn't really a thing yet in my uh, <laughs> early university days. Yeah. I mean, accessing databases now too, though, has its own set of challenges because of the accessibility. Certain, certain articles I just don't even click on, even though they mm -hmm. might be um, really good for my proposals because of the fact that they're not accessible. 
I've mm -hmm. actually never tried to see if th that could be converted or if there could also be supports for that. But I'm sure that there's probably something out there for that as well. I think sometimes you have to ask because um, when they're telling you what supports they have, they are very general um, things that you can access. But if you always ask and dig deeper, there are always things that um, are quite unique to, to uh, students' individual situations that they can still access. Another one that I used was extra time on exams. And mm -hmm. I was taking my exams in a diff. I didn't take them in the classroom with, with everybody else. I would take them in the disability resource center. They would be in those days. Again, it was a, my, the, the exam was read on tape and I would listen to it. And then I would type my answers on the computer and then print that out. And that would go back to the instructor. So is that still, and I think it was time and a half for somebody with low vision and double time for somebody who was totally blind. Mm, that's interesting because I was told I could only get time and a half and I'm mm. totally yeah. blind. Yeah. Um, definitely that is still the same. I mean, not the reading on tape thing. I don't think we have tapes <laughs> anymore. Tape? Yeah. Yeah. What's a tape, right? But, um, Definitely, you could access a scribe as well as a reader if that is something you need to utilize, like Ooh. say for math. Have you done um, an exam with the scribe? I did that once and so it was painful. awful. So Ugh. painful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was very hard because I'm like, I need to reread that. I need to look at what I'm writing. And for me, I knew that I could re-ask them. That is their job. But it, oh, it was just not something for me, but <laughs> maybe something for someone else who needs yeah. that. We should clarify a scribe is a, a person mm -hmm. who reads you the exam and then writes down your answers. And it was just so embarrassing. I think the first time I had a scribe was in high school, actually. And mm -hmm. I just, I felt like, even though I'm sure she wasn't judging me, but I felt like she was judging my answers. Like you should, right? why is it, why is it taking you so long to answer that question, Sean? Or exactly you know, if you had to say, could you read that again? Can you read it a fourth time? Cause I still don't really understand. Yeah. Can you mm -hmm. spell that word for me? Cause I still don't under, you know, <laughs> can you put a comma here? Yes. Yeah, some, the one, sometimes they'll be like, you have to tell me everything commas periods and I'm just like I right I oh. just write right like that's um, so hard yeah that is but I think for those who need it, it it's great um but for me um I can book my exams with accessibility services there is a certain uh timeline to do that though within and your instructor sends them the exam um and you get time and a half and I usually just get the exam on like a flash drive. Um, they have a computer there, put it in the computer, answer my questions. Um, I think you can also get time and a half for assignments. I don't typically utilize that for myself. Again, it's, mm. it's dependent on your situation. I definitely take the time and a half on exams. And that's because of technology issues. I have been in exams where that computer has crashed, where mm -hmm. part of the exam was not accessible, uh, where we had to switch halfway through to scribe. So mm -hmm. I, I always take that just in case as like, as a precautionary measure. So stressful when that happens. Hey, you're yeah. like already worried about the exam and the material, and then you're dealing with those extra sort of challenges mm -hmm. that can appear sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why um, you know, it might 
to others sometimes appear as if we just get extra time, but there are also also reasons and and um, gives as well that we have to have to give to 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 even it out per se. Totally, yeah. A lot of this stuff. I mean, I didn't I didn't always need the extra time, and sometimes I did. And if you consider like an exam that has like biology where there's diagrams that had to be described to me before I could even try to answer the question. Whereas if you're cited, you're just kind of seeing it and you know exactly what it is. Yeah. Right. Um, or math where it, yeah, it's really hard to do math auditorily. (laughs) So hard. So that's, that takes some extra brain power to try to work through some of that stuff. Whereas exactly. if you can have your little scrap paper and work it out, it's different, right? So yeah, mm-hmm. we're not getting this, these, these are accommodations. They're not like, um, they're not perks really. They're, they're accommodations mm-hmm. to try to even the playing field. Exactly. So how accessible is kind of accessing the supports or the back end? Like, so when I went to university, we were not emailing our professors, at least the first time when I did my master's. Yes. But I was, you know, I was like, it was old school. (laughs) It was, uh, there was no kind of back end to submit assignments. You literally printed them out and brought them into class and handed them in. I don't, I don't think it works like that anymore. And I'm curious if you're submitting them online is that system accessible with a screen reader yeah so surprisingly we are still printing our assignments off and handing them in professors really seem to prefer that okay um and yes um definitely more so now that things have gone online uh due to the pandemic um each university uses their own platforms so some of them include moodle blackboard um, Canvas, different different platforms, and it it varies platform to platform. Uh, mm. UFV uses Blackboard. Blackboard, many people don't like Blackboard. I love it, but I also hate it. Um, in the sense of, I love it because I find it quite accessible on my phone. Um, mm. So I can definitely email myself things and then attach them from my phone. Um, it is uh, also accessible mostly using JAWS. There are some features like it, when I had to take an exam through Blackboard, that took me um, much longer. Um, doesn't read the questions properly, doesn't help you read your answers back. Um, that was painful. Again, though, sometimes changing the settings on your laptop will fix the problem. So it's hard to know how much of that is Blackboard, how much is, of that is your laptop. Um, but there's this new tool now called Blackboard Ally, I think. And it's an accessibility thing that Blackboard has launched. And I don't really know much about it, but I'm excited to see how it works. And if, in, if instructors use it, um, students can download assignments in any format that they want that suits their learning style. And I think it has a couple other features as well that I'm not um, too familiar with. Okay. So 
do you still have like an, a disability advisor that's assigned to you for the whole time that you're at university that kind of helps you get these services? And does that person like, are they able to talk you through how to use Blackboard with a screen reader or whatever platform that university is using? Like, is is that a support that's available? So you definitely get an advisor assigned to you uh, when you register with the center. Um, I think for Blackboard, they just sent me some resources. Unfortunately, UFB does not have advisors who are proficient in assistive technology mm-hmm. so okay. they rely a lot on me um, or others to to kind of find that or atbc assistive technology bc that provides the technology um for students to kind of go around that um, once when i had a problem with blackboard um they took it to it and it was like we can access this and they posted a video of themselves <laughs> turning on jaws but mouse clicking through everything oh. and i emailed back and explained that yes this is this is not same the same <sighs> so there are things like that still um that you have however i i'm not that's not to discourage anyone from this that just means to really hone in on your technology skills because they are um they're quite important Well, and also when you're doing your research and you're meeting with the disability resource centers, ask those questions, like what platform does this university use? And is there an advisor here that is familiar with a screen reader that will be able to help me if I have challenges? Because like any profession, there are going to be different, different human beings working in that facility that will know or not know, right? And you can always ask for future students blind students who have been to that university. Um, So like I said, I knew someone who went there and now I have friends or people coming into the university that I'm telling, yeah, don't do this or yeah, do this or this is how I do it. So you kind of also have to access that as well, I think, Mm -hmm. um, to kind of have that that perspective too. I'm curious. So... (laughs) Back in the 90s, when I was in university (laughs) for the first time, they told us to expect that it would take four months to get a book in alternate format. So we would have to read, I'd have to know what classes I was taking four months before I started taking those classes in order for them to get those books in the format. And I was using audio format because I didn't I didn't learn Braille until I was 18. So I couldn't read Braille and I couldn't read print. And that was pretty much the only other option at that time. Um, so it was quite an involved process. And often, what, and then when I went, when I transferred to UBC, because they had Crane Library where right. they actually produced the books, it was two months. So it was much better, but still two months. So, and even still, it, there were times when there was one course where I never got the textbook and we actually had to hire somebody in the class to read the textbook to me, the entire thing. Uh, and then, other times I would get chapters at a time, like the whole, the whole book isn't available, but here's the first three chapters. But the thing with university textbooks is sometimes you don't read them in order. You do not. (laughs) So, you know, well, today we're going to read chapter 12 and I'm like, but I only have one through three. So there were a lot, a lot, a lot of challenges around books. What's the situation now? Oh no. There still are. So, (laughs) so last semester, 
this was kind of, I guess, on me. I registered last minute for a class. Uh, I didn't get the course pack until uh, end of October, which we were done using it at that point. So I had friends in the class who would make audio recordings of themselves reading our course pack to me. Um, this semester, um, so I registered um, for classes in November and I still haven't gotten my textbook for class, but yet we're, you know, we're starting reading it this week. Mm. Um, I would have supposed to, to read it, read it this week. Um, before for me, it was quite, it was, it was better because what would happen is you would register for classes, you and your disability advisor would meet, and then you would ask the professors for textbooks and you would send them to Caper right then and there. Now, UFB has changed to, I register for classes, I go to an online portal, I ask for accommodations, they have to be renewed, then I wait till the textbook list comes out for everybody, then I take those titles and I send them to Caper, but then I don't understand why we get priority registration and all these extra things if we just have to wait for the textbook list to come out. So mm. this semester, though, um, this semester I have Austin professors um, that I didn't even go through accessibility services for. Um, personally, for me, I don't think I need it right now where I'm at. Um, that doesn't mean that one shouldn't use the services. Um, I definitely did for, for a very long time until I felt comfortable with the environment, with the professors I know, with advocating for myself, um, et cetera. So what I did this semester was they said, yes, that's fine. We know you, we'll give you the accommodations you need or what, you know, anything you need. And then they sent me the list, the textbook list. I asked for it um, because you're not supposed to anymore, but because I was doing things of my own own accord mm. I asked for it I submitted it and I still haven't gotten it so if you're waiting for the textbook list to come out it can take a very long time to get textbooks yeah and that is why we we are able to register earlier usually mm -hmm. it, it was for that exact reason so that we could guarantee that we were going to get those courses because in some cases we'd already ordered the books or the books had already exactly. been you know they were being produced for us because we had to know so far in advance. Another thing I've started doing though as well is the age of ebooks and audiobooks now has also really developed. Oh, so if yes. I'm reading a novel in class and I don't want to wait for them to produce it, I just go to Audible, use a credit and buy it and now I have it. But mm -hmm. the problem with that then is if you have to write a paper on it in audio, I might not have page numbers. I might mm -hmm. not have spelling of the names. Oh, but yes. um, there are things like that, too, that I, I, I can use. Yeah, it's funny. When I did my master's, I guess, when was that? Like 2009, 2010-ish. Um, I didn't really need a lot of support from the Disability Resource Center because technology had come such a long way. It was an mm -hmm. online program as well. But for my textbooks, some of them, I just, I, I literally scanned them myself. That was tedious. Yeah. Uh, or yeah, was starting to be able to get books in e-text at that point, which makes a big world of difference. Right. So yeah. yeah, the game changed quite a bit, thankfully. Yeah. It's gotten a lot better. 
and it's unfortunate that they don't they don't the only formats I'm being offered are PDF and, and e-text. There is no braille. What about getting technology? What's the process like to get some assistive technology if you need it to do your coursework? Yeah, so like I said, um, ATBC, Assistive Technology BC, um, provides the technology um, for students in post-secondary. And once you're registered with the Center for Accessibility Services or the Disability Resource Center, um, they'll ask you if you need assistive technology and then you would fill out the paperwork for ATBC. And then, um, I had to have a short consultation with them about the equipment that I said I needed, why I needed it, how I would use it, what classes I was in, et cetera. Um, and then you usually receive your equipment before um, school begins. Um, they also ask you if you want it on loan or if you want to um, purchase it. Um, with with the grant money. So on loan means that they give you the equipment, you use it, and then once you're done post-secondary, you send it back. Um, if you want to own it, there's a grant that you apply for um, through ATBC. Uh, once you're approved for that, then they purchase the equipment for you and it's it's yours to keep. I think that you can get a new computer every four years, but I could be wrong on that part. Mm. I remember uh, I chose to purchase in my final year so Me that too. I would have like the latest, you know, the latest technology as I moved on into my work life. So that was nice. <laughs> yeah, I I loaned technology for a little bit, but then there was a point where I had to purchase, but if I can still do that in my final year, depending on how many years have gone by with your, with your equipment, then I would, I would definitely do that. Now, is there, you know, can you pretty much get whatever you need or are there like, would they, would they do a, a braille display or something like that? So there seems to be a lot more technology out there. Um, but typically, um, so I asked for a computer with JAWS. I got a Dell computer with JAWS. Um, and then I wanted a Braille note. But unfortunately, ATBC sees you can only get one computer. And they see those both as computers. So they asked me to justify why I would need both devices. And I, and I had to explain why Braille versus versus JAWS are both useful, but just in different settings. Because if I'm doing math, I need the Braille. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm doing research on databases, the Braille note's not going to help me in such complicated tasks. Um, if I'm doing formatting, uh, again, laptop, right? If I'm reading uh, something, a novel, I might choose to utilize e-text, but then also utilize the Braille note to check spelling, page numbers, mm -hmm. etc. If I'm editing, I might choose to use the Braille note. Um, so, so they see it as one computer. You can only access one of the two computers, but, but I had you can justify that. Um, okay. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about 
what wasn't available or isn't available in university that you thought would be. And you mentioned earlier a little bit about Braille. So let's start with that. So in high school, I'm assuming you could get everything you needed in Braille. 100% textbooks, right. assignments. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, <laughs> you learned, you learned to rely on Braille and, and use right. it in to, to do your schoolwork. And then you got to university and what were you told? Uh, yeah, we don't offer that here. It's too much work. It's too expensive. It's too cumbersome. And my whole style of learning had to change within an instant. Yeah. Wow. Um, which is quite hard for someone who is also a visual learner and needs that, that constant contact of, of Braille, especially when you're an English student, um, I find, and you have to edit and you have to like, you know, gra- grammar, just things like that are, are really tough without, without Braille. Yes, you have a Braille display. And, and yes, you, you know, you can hook it up maybe to the computer, but it's still not the same sort of thing as you get with assignments in Braille, syllabus in Braille, course outlines in Braille, um, and things like that. I know that some universities, I think, do provide a little bit of it. Mine definitely does not, which I think is, I, I just personally, I don't, I don't see why not. I think Blind students, Braille, Braille is a, Braille is so pivotal. Why would you not provide that? We're relying so heavy on heavily on technology, but when our computers break and we have to send them back, we're always late for assignments. And mm-hmm. and what what do we have to rely on? Mm-hmm. So that's so. another important question when researching mm-hmm. the university to ask: Can yes. I get materials in Braille here? How many materials can I get? Sometimes. Yeah, they, I, I, I understand that they can't provide everything in Braille. So to see how much they can provide you in Braille would be mm-hmm. great, would be good. Uh, are there other things that you expected would be available that weren't? So when you're growing up with a visual impairment um, throughout elementary school and high school, you have an orientation and mobility instructor. Um, so that person works with you about an hour a week and you work on cane skills. You work on learning the layout of the school. If you need to learning the layout of the surrounding community, uh, classrooms, etc. And when I got to university and asked for that, they told me to go to the CNIB, um, because CNIB offers um, free mobility services for anybody who, who needs them. However, when I went to the CNIB, they told me that they can do O&M with me everywhere except on a university campus because they believe that it's the university's job. So I was kind of being thrown between the two, two of them. Um, and then they said, okay, well, you know, after I kind of argued that a bit, I said, look, like this isn't working for me. I don't, they said that they'd send a student to walk with me class to class. I said, that's not going to work for the rest of my life. Um, especially in emergencies. (laughs) I mean, I did have a student walk with me from class to class, but I remember one class I had to go somewhere and I, I couldn't ask that student. So at that point I was like, no, like this is not okay. I have to start learning the school myself. So I argued with the university and they said, okay, you can ask the Ministry for Advanced Education 
to see if they will provide you someone who will teach you how to get around campus. However, in that letter, when I wrote that, they read it and they're like, well, we have to kind of make it seem something it's not. Like they would help you to the bathroom. They would help you find your chair. They had to make it seem more involved of a process than it was for me to get some funding in order to access um, some O&M support. But I still ended up paying out of pocket um, for a couple months. This, yeah, I'm curious of this whole CNIB can provide mobility anywhere except on a university campus. I certainly remember getting some mobility when I started university. I don't know if that's as like in certain areas or certain universities. I also, mobility was never a thing that was provided through school, uh, through university when I was attending either. So right. this, this seems really new to me. Uh, I was really, really lucky that the mobility instructor I worked with in high school offered me some mobility at the university, like as sort of our final work together, which was amazing. So I didn't really have to line anything up. And at that time I had low vision, so I didn't need as much mobility as I would now. Um, you know, a couple, a couple hours on the campus learning my residence and where the buildings, my courses would be in was kind of enough of the lay of the land to take it from there. Right. But right. Yeah. It's, it's, of course, you're going to need some help to learn your way around. Especially when you're first, first attending. Now, if someone average just shows me something, I can do it because I know how to use my cane skills, or I guess um, in my case, I know how to, um, you know, have my dog with me uh, in certain instances. And now I know enough of the building that I can also just guess sometimes or use a bit of that structure discovery yes. of, of finding things. But mm-hmm. when you're first starting out, that's, you, you know, there's all, there's so many things you have to worry about when transitioning that mm-hmm. I really don't think that that should be one of them, especially because orientation sessions are provided to the general student populace. And I think that we should also have something like that for students with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Is the campus... It- is the campus itself accessible is there braille signage do you find like now that you've learned the lay of the land you can navigate independently pretty well yes I would say now I can definitely navigate independently I mean it's been a little bit like of a change going back there after being online for so long especially and with a dog but I definitely can as for braille signage yes that's something I wasn't expecting um, mm. Some buildings have the braille signage, some don't, depends if they've been renovated or if they're older buildings, but definitely have braille signage. Uh, let's talk about instructors. I'm really curious how your instructors have responded to your blindness. Uh, I'm sure there's a range. I certainly had a range. I have some some fond memories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what's your experience been like? Yeah, I definitely have some memories. It's definitely a mixed bag. And this is, again, where you would ask fellow blind students, hey, what instructor did you take for this course? How did it work for you? And sometimes you can also set up a meeting with the instructor and your disability advisor to kind of get a feel for things as well. Um, but um, I, Though I've had negative, I wasn't expecting the positive responses. I have instructors that I've built relationships with, 
who are super supportive of any accommodations um, that I would need, no questions asked even sometimes, um, as well as, you know, saying I don't have to officially even be enrolled in accessibility services, um, which is when you're blind, a lot of the time, you know, it's you have to show paperwork, you have to go through all these heaps and hurdles and someone really telling me that you don't have to do all that, you'll still get the accommodations is very um, affirming of, mm-hmm. of just also being a human who just needs extra support sometimes. Um, so yeah, I've definitely, this semester, like I said, I'm not using any extra extra accessibility service support. Again, not that there's anything wrong with that. I had an instructor, <laughs> an English instructor, read me like an entire book on onto cassette tape when I was going to Douglas College. It, yeah, I think he, and he said, you know, I've always really enjoyed reading to my wife and I'd be happy to read this for you. I think it was maybe a book that he wanted the class to read that he hadn't, he hadn't planned ahead for, you know, maybe spontaneously Mm -hmm. decided we're going to read this. Uh, So it wasn't available to me. And so he read it on tape, which was really sweet. Yeah. I've had instructors offer to do that too, or to just meet, um, afterwards or uh, office hours to just read Mm. and yeah that's been great what about like small school versus big school have you have you attended a larger university now as well yes so smaller schools definitely seem to have a bit more stereotype um and a lot of blind people I know have said they would not go to that you know they don't they wouldn't and I think that there is also something to be said about smaller schools because if a professor knows you, this is that's why you know you can form those relationships, have that support. And I think that in bigger universities, you might have more services, but you're you know you're really lacking in that community aspect. I recently started an editing certificate at SFU, and going through that process versus UFB was quite different. I think that for SFU, um, I had to definitely complete paperwork as well, but then they would take all the materials off. Um, so they use Canvas and they would make them accessible for me. Whereas university instructor or UFB instructors are expected to provide those directly to me. So there's one, there's that difference. Whereas SFU has people in the accessibility center to do that. They have more, more people. UFB lets you kind of do what you need to do and just move through the class. Whereas I found that SFU was quite, they wanted an access aid with me, um, which I know other students have had, and that's great. And I might've needed for certain assignments, but I also kind of was used to just after high school, being in a class by myself, not really having anyone around with me all the time. And I think that I just kind of felt a little bit overwhelmed. And, you know, again, this isn't to say good or bad. This is just, I felt a little bit overwhelmed with all of that um, being thrown my way. Um, So interesting, right? Like mm -hmm. how the idea that 
we have more, we have more support and you can have this. And, and, but then there's also the, almost the expectation that you take it. Like they're, they're so used to people being so appreciative of all the things that then when there is a student who maybe doesn't want some of that or need some of that, mm-hmm. that's confusing, right? Like, but, but, yeah, but everybody loves that, that we do this. Yeah, so why why don't you like, want it? UFB has made me a little bit self-sufficient in that way, which is also good mm-hmm. because you're not always going to have any, everyone holding your hand. Um, that sometimes I, I'm very, you know, like, oh, I don't need this. And, you know, sometimes I should take it. And other times it's just a little bit overbearing. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I definitely, I liked the, the smaller class sizes when I went mm-hmm. to college and the instructor always knew me, but that is one of the benefits of being a student with a disability is, I mean, I would always meet with, I would on the first class, first or second class, I would go up to the instructor at the end of class and introduce myself and explain that I had a visual impairment uh, and just like remind the instructor to please verbalize what they're showing on the overhead or, you know, whatever their notes, um, just sort of Mm -hmm. talk through some of the things that I was going to need, which meant that they would know me, right. I being the blind student in their class gave me, it would make them remember me. So in a, in a class of 300 students where if I wasn't blind, they probably wouldn't know me unless you're that Mm -hmm. one student that speaks, puts her hand up in every single class, (laughs) (laughs) which I'm not. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, kind of that disability kind of gives you that, you know, they're going to remember who you are, which is generally good, unless you're not a good student, (laughs) then maybe you don't want them to remember who you are. Right. And I think, right. That's again, that give and take, right. Of small versus big, you have to decide what you want. Are Mm -hmm. you comfortable with 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 larger lecture halls um versus just a classroom with with tables and chairs and i think that's really up to the individual student blind or not yeah so any advice you would have for maybe students who are in high school or or just haven't done post secondary yet that are considering it any advice you'd have for them yeah do your research 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 um, soak it in as much as you can ask all the questions because that's really at the end of the day how you're going to get your answers um, when I was starting I didn't know what all the words meant major minor degree program all of them I didn't really know what they all meant and um, it to me I did feel a little bit embarrassed but I think that asking those questions doing your research is really what's going to set you up for for the success um, of going through post-secondary because you want to make sure that you start off um, with a solid foundation that you can build upon. Awesome. Good advice. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Ginny, for showing up today, especially given that our guest was not able to join us. You have been a fantastic guest and uh, shared a lot of wisdom with our listeners. And I know that it'll be really helpful to lots of people. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for asking me and having me on again. You've been listening to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. If you have a question, a comment, a future topic request, we would love to hear from you. Please send us an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. Please share this podcast. 
subscribe so that you get every week's episodes and join us next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted along with their families. Music for this podcast is composed by Sean Bishop and Clement Chow. Production and audio editing by Rob Minot. For more information about Blind Beginnings and the work it does to support children and youth who are blind and partially sighted along with their families, visit us on the web at www.blindbeginnings.ca and also remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next time.